What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Tuesday. I am Will Brinson. I am your host. That clinking sound you heard is not Jason Lockenfora, but it might be Sean Wagner joining us here to break down the Buccaneers. Uh, Sean is drinking bourbon and loudly clanking it. I am uh, I'm drinking a stone Coco Vesa, an imperial stout, and I'm drinking this mistakenly late at night. I have an 8 a.m. Uh, HQ hit. If you're listening to this podcast, I might have already done my HQ hit. You can watch me on HQ at 8 a.m. by going to cbssports.com backslash live or firing up your Roku, Amazon Fire, uh, Apple TV, whatever device you want, using your phone, using your, your laptop. Um, and uh, I'll be talking about football streaming live. It's our 24-7 streaming sports service for real fans. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, but I'm drinking this beer because I'm celebrating because the overhit – and that means that I won my Picks League, Sean, this week. That's a $250 prize for this week. And because Ben Roethlisberger managed to only have a semi-monster day, I won a bunch of fantasy leagues as well. But ultimately, the important thing that came out of this game, and by the way, we're going to have Brady Quinn joining us later, as well as Stephen O. The important thing is that the Steelers got their first win they move to one, one and one after a 30 to 27 wild victory over the Tampa, Bu- Tampa Bay Buccaneers that sends the Bucks to two and one, ties them in first place in the NFC South with, uh, I believe are all four teams. No, the Falcons are in last place, right? Um, pretty good game from the Steelers. I don't, well, pretty big game from the Steelers. Ben big, big Ben, 30 of 38, 353, three touchdowns, one pick, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, his top targeted wideout, 11 targets, 9 catches, 116 yards. Vance McDonald exploded on the scene, 5 catches, 4 uh, five, four catches, 5 targets, 112 yards, and a 75-yard touchdown in which he ended Chris Conte's life. Uh, I don't know, Sean, though, that I would say this is a good game for the Steelers. Yeah, it was a really fun game, a really entertaining game. You had Fitzmagic looking horrible, looking like Fitz, Fitz tragic in the first half. And in the second half, he suddenly is becoming the first player in NFL history to throw for 400 yards in three straight games. It was it was really fun. It had everything in it. I don't think it was well played, though, on either side. You look at the Steelers. They had 13 penalties for 155 yards. And I know there was a lot of questionable roughing the passer penalties, and that obviously contributed to the high penalty total. But the Steelers, to me, don't look like a disciplined team. They obviously have a multitude of weapons. They're going to score a lot of points. But I don't know if I walk away from this game being encouraged for either side. I think the takeaway is that both these teams can score points in a hurry, but they're also very flawed defensively. It seems like defensively it's either pass rush or bust. If they're not getting to the quarterback, they are just atrocious and can be picked apart. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. And I think we knew that the Bucks defense maybe is just isn't good, right? And um Maybe we knew the Steelers weren't any good either. I've been talking about them not being good for a while. Uh, every single one of their games has been a shootout. Since Ryan Shazier got injured, they haven't been able to stop anybody. Um, because this was a primetime game on Monday night featuring a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick who is now inconceivably thrown for – he's the only player in NFL history to throw for 400 yards in three straight games. You dropped that note in the slack, and I just didn't believe it. I was like, that can't be true. It's just false. I was texting a buddy of mine about it. He's like, there's no way that's true. It's not, he's like, it's not true. I was like, it, it is. The Bucks comms just tweeted about it. Um, but like, it, because this is on Monday night, I think that the performance by Fitzpatrick in the first half, which was not great, 
but also not it, it got treat it got ramped up way too much. Like if this had been a Sunday one o'clock game. People would be like, oh, like those numbers don't look great for Fitzpatrick. But one of his picks was a was a ball that was bad at the line of scrimmage and popped up, and the other was a, a miscommunication with Mike Evans. I didn't think he played that bad. Um, I mean, he had a bunch of bad throws, but he ended up with a you know pretty decent. I mean, thirty of fifty is not great, but four eleven and three touchdowns. He had an okay game, and he almost led the Buccaneers back. I blame not don't blame him for the loss, but punting at the end of that game by Dirk Cutter. Come on, man. Like that's you can't punt down three with two thirty six left, and having given up, you know, four hundred and thirteen total yards of the Steelers at that point. Yeah, and it's not even like a hindsight thing where we're criticizing him. Like right. as it happened, I was saying they're not going to get the ball back, and of right. course the Steelers, for all their faults, um, with being slopping, looking like they're not a well coached team, they went out and they threw the ball to get a first down and ice the game, and give them credit for doing that. No, but I agree with you. You had a fourth and ten. Yes, you're inside your own territory, but even if you don't get that first down, it's a three-point game. If you get a stop, the Steelers are kicking a field goal. By the way, they already missed an extra point. They already missed a field goal earlier. Mm -hmm. Even if they make it, you're going to get the ball back with two minutes left with a chance to go win the game. And I really think if the Steelers get the ball there at the 25-yard line with 230 left, I don't think they're throwing it the way they're throwing it. I no, think that's no, you're right, 100%. If they just run the ball three times, they make – then burn all their timeouts and they kick a field goal and then suddenly Fitzpatrick gets another chance. And on top of that, maybe you just convert on fourth and 10. I mean, how many penalties did the Steelers have to extend Bucks drives? It, it, they were asking to lose the game, um, by punting there at the end. Well, it was on the Tampa 20, it looks like, which is, yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's, I get it, but like you're again, you're down three. Your defense is terrible. It hadn't stopped anybody. If you go for it and don't get it, the Steelers are probably running the ball three times and then kicking a field goal to go up six and make you get a touchdown, which you were going to try to get anyway. Like it goes back in week, uh, week one in that Bears Packers game, how you talked about the fact that you wanted the Packers to need three points. So Mike McCarthy would coach in a conservative fashion. That's what Dirk Cutter did in this spot. And I, I, I pinned on him a little bit. Um, he also, by the way, kicked multiple field goals inside. Yes. The red zone in spots where, and I get that he got him back in the game and they had a shot with the ball down three and, and plenty of time. I get it, but those were, you know, you're down big. You need to put up the points and come away with the touchdowns there. They had a guy who was at least dealing in the second half. Um, and look, a lot of things could have gone very differently. Mike Evans ended up with a monster game, 137 yards, a touchdown. Uh, in six catches, Chris Godwin had the craziest game I've ever seen from a wide receiver, just in terms of he had five catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown, but he also had a fumble early on that really hurt them. Um, and then he could have had two more touchdowns and ended up with like 220 yards. Like he could have had an absolutely enormous game and just had to settle for a decent game. OJ Howard, I saw Jamie Eisenberg tweet about this, needs to be owned in 100% of fantasy league, six catches, 72 yards. Cameron Braid had three catches, 34 yards, and a touchdown, but Howard was the, the the third most targeted guy in that passing game. It looked fantastic. I agree with Jamie. I think if you need tight end help, O.J. Howard is the guy to go get there in fantasy leagues. The, the the rushing offense is non-existent. Peyton Barber, eight carries, 33 yards. But James Conner was no big shakes. I mean, he had one good week, and he had been great since then. Um, I just thought in, in a game where, like, would you rather – Trust your, trust Ryan Fitzpatrick to convert a, convert a fourth down or trust your defense to stop Ben Roethlisberger from converting a first down on multiple tries. And you can totally see 
like Mike Tomlin going to Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, and be like, F it. Let's get done with this bleep. Go pass the ball three times, and we're getting a first down and getting out of here, right? Yeah, and to go back to your point about them kicking field goals early, where they really lost the game, and I get something happens in the first half, it changes the entire outlook of the game, but they blew the end of the first half sequence as well. They were down 23-7, and they got inside the five-yard line, Mm-hmm. And they ran it on first down, and they didn't run the play clock down. They ran a play before the play clock could expire, saving the Steelers some time. And then they threw it two times from the three-yard line. What you need to be doing is running that ball on second and goal, either making the Steelers use your timeouts or running the clock down. They end up throwing it twice, two incompletions. Chris Godwin drops the last one. That's on him. Instead of kicking, Instead of going for it, they kick a field goal. And then the Steelers come down and they score a touchdown before the end of the half. And that's why they're down yep. 20 at the half. I think they really botched the end of the first half and it really just put them in this script where they were, they were going to need a stop at the end that they couldn't get. Um, so I thought, I don't know if it was a well coached game. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if either of these teams are good. I don't think either team is good. I, I, well, I think that either team can put up points. Like, I think both teams are very capable of throwing up a ton of points, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the I, – I do it. If I I wish um, – I was treating, uh, tweeting with um, Scott Pianowski of, uh, of Yahoo Sports about this. He pointed out that there's no reason that Ben Roethlisberger should be lower than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in fantasy for the rest of the year, and I agree. Like, I knew the Steelers I, – I was of the opinion before the season that the Steelers' defense would be terrible, and I was right. Um, th- their defense is not going to magically get better, I don't believe. I miscalculated just how good Ben could be for fantasy, though, because he's going to be throwing the ball a ton. Le'Veon Bell is now holding out, and they just don't have a defense. Like He's just going to have to keep throwing. And I think that we're going to see a monster year from Ben Roethlisberger as a result, but I don't think it's necessarily going to correlate to a ton of wins for the Steelers because they can't stop anybody and they, they, they got, I mean, they got every break in the world in this game against the Bucks, and, and they still could barely close them out. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where like Ryan Fitzpatrick today had the three picks, but he also had three touchdowns at 400 yards and fantasy wise, that's still a great performance. And I think Ben, maybe not to that degree is are going to have those games where he can throw three picks in the first half, but then that just means the Steelers are going to be down 21 and they're just going to be throwing the ball every single play in the second half. And in that sense, he's going to be a top 10 top, maybe top five fantasy quarterback the rest of the way. Uh, I mean, I think the more interesting quarterback here to talk about though is Fitzpatrick because at halftime, nice job. Yeah, of course he's the more interesting quarterback. We were, we were writing him off as Fitz tragic. Jameis just got his job back because Jameis Winston is now eligible to report to the to the Bucks facility tomorrow, so he can play against the Bears on Sunday. And well, well, let me ask looked, you. Let me ask you this then: At halftime, were you of the opinion that the Bucks should give Jameis the job on, on against the Bears on Thursday? I've been oh, no, 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 wait! I have a better question for you. <laughs> You're a Bears fan. Who do you want to? Who do you not want to start on Thursday? I want to play Ryan Fitzpatrick. Exactly. Okay. Well, that, that's the answer right there. Like you would rather have Fitzpatrick play than Jameis. And you don't even, I, you don't like Jameis at all. You hate I don't him. like Jameis, but I, I think the Fitzpatrick decline is coming at some point. Yep. And I, if I'm the Bucks, I'm looking at it like this. We just got two wins against two playoff teams a year ago, Super Bowl contenders coming into the year, nearly beat the third team. I'm going to take what Fitzpatrick gave us, a two and one record. And I'm going to be fully satisfied with it. I'm not going to test my luck. And you know what? Jameis is supposed to be the franchise quarterback. 
and they are operating under the belief that he is their guy long term. And if they are, if they think that, I don't understand how you can sit him behind Fitzpatrick. I know Fitzpatrick played well in the second half. You were talking about how, you know, one of the interceptions, uh, was a tip pass. Mike Evans maybe messed up on another one. Godwin dropped a touchdown. But let's, I th- also think Fitzpatrick threw a couple interceptable passes there in the second half that the Steelers just couldn't hang on to. What I was saying during the game is Fitzpatrick to me is a quarterback I love to watch and I think he's good for the league because one second he's scrambling for 18 yards and then the next play he's throwing up a Hail Mary with 10 minutes left in the game to Mike Evans in double coverage. I love him as long as he's not playing for my team. And so as a Bears fan, I would rather see him because I think there's as good of a chance he throws for four interceptions and no touchdowns as he throws did what he did today. So I, I, I think, I think, no, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I, I think if I'm a, if I was a Bears fan, I don't want the box to start Jameis. But if I think that given what we have seen from Ryan Fitzpatrick, how he led them back in the second half, how he played in the first two weeks, how he's gotten them to two and one, the fact that it's a short week, they can, they can, it's really kind of like just, you know, practically difficult to start Jameis Winston when he's reinstated on a Tuesday. It's, it's practically difficult to start him on a Thursday when you have a guy who's playing well. So I'm, I am fine with them starting Fitzpatrick against the Bears, but I think that if they look bad on offense or he throws three picks again, then you have to go with Jameis. And it's worth noting, um, Oh, I saw this conversation between, uh, Chris Brown at Smart Football and Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com, uh, but they're, you know, just, Brown was talking about how, um, once Todd Munkin took over the play calling for the Bucks and the, you know, that he's never seen a guy who ran a pure air raid in college and also ran like a pro style system at the NFL level call plays in those, in those same aspects in different formations. And it, I agree. It's really impressive how he's called plays. Uh, but Rosenthal pointed out that like both Jameis and Fitzpatrick played great in the preseason after Munkin took over. And that's something to consider. Like, is this Ryan Fitzpatrick being great or is Todd Munkin just a sick offensive coordinator? Cause if Jameis will come in and run these same, same type of plays and look the same way, you want Jameis there. He's the better quarterback. Well, what I think is going to be really revealing is if Jameis comes in, and I don't know if it's going to happen this week. I agree with you. I don't think the Bucks will do it. I think Fitzpatrick played well enough there to not get benched. Yes. But what's going to be interesting, when eventually Jameis does play, because he probably will play at some point, if he is suddenly struggling and this offense doesn't look good, is that an indictment of Jameis Winston? Because yes, clearly, yes. The, yes. So I think... Jameis is probably looking at that as he's he's got legitimate pressure behind him, and not in the sense that Fitzpatrick is going to replace him in the long term. But if Jameis struggles over the course of the rest of the season, I think there are – we talked about how his contract is going to be coming up, and they're going to have to decide if they want to make him the $25 million guy, throwing his off-the-field issues, which you can't ignore. Like we, this, this is a contract year in so many ways for Jameis Winston, and it doesn't help him – it helps him in the sense that the Bucks are two and one and they could make the playoffs. And if he goes to the playoffs, he's definitely getting in contract, but it doesn't help him in the sense that you have this guy setting NFL records and you have to replace him. And if you don't do well, everyone's going to be screaming for that guy. And they're going to say, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick set NFL records in this offense and you can't do that. But so I think it's a tough situation for Jameis. Not that I have sympathy for him because it's a self-created situation. He's found himself in, uh, but if I'm Jameis in a way, I don't really want to come in this game. You're playing against a good Bears defense mm-hmm. that can rush the passer. Fitzpatrick was under pressure tonight. Um, I think the Bears can definitely get to whoever's playing quarterback for the Bucks. 
no one's going to remember that first half from tonight. Bucks fans are only going to remember this the second half. I would rather if I have Jameis come in after Fitzpatrick has one of his vintage letdowns. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like you don't. It's a no win situation if you start Jameis unless he just lights up the Bucks on the road against a really against what we've seen to be a very good defense. By the way, I love. Uh, I don't know what it is. I love the Bears' first half line again against the Buccaneers. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky's definitely going to lead a touchdown drive in the first quarter, right? Probably. I yeah, mean, no, definitely. They didn't, they didn't do it. They didn't do it against the Cardinals. Cardinals uh, defense is better than the Bucks. Bucks defense stinks. No, you're right. The not to get off topic from the Bucks, but Matt Nagy's press conference today actually kind of went after Trubisky a bit. Was very specific in criticisms. Um, and I thought that was a little bit revealing. I'm not saying he's going to bench Mitchell Trubisky or anything like that, he's but narrative, I think that he's narrative, not. Narrator voice, he's not. <laughs> right. Uh, well, they did pay a lot of money for Chase Daniel, but um, I, I thought it was a little bit revealing that he's, the first two weeks, he was very protective of him, um, and it seemed like he was a little bit less protective, was more willing to admit when reporters are asking about specific criticisms that, yes, this is a concern. It should be a concern. He hadn't looked very good, but this is not a Mitchell Trubisky podcast. If you want to watch Mitchell Trubisky and watch all of Mitch's games, you can go to NFL.com slash pick six and get a free seven-day trial of NFL Game Pass. I was watching, Sean, today, uh, a little Raiders and uh, and, and Dolphins. And it's a teaser alert for my – use NFL Game Pass for my quarterback rankings piece. I have to go back and watch all these quarterbacks play. Got to jam in as many as I can between in Monday and Tuesday. The ones you know you watch them on Sunday, then you want to go back and examine the throws, look how they looked in the offense. Um, you know, if, you know, you have a, you have a hankering about something that you want to see. The only way to do it is NFL Game Pass. You get every single game on the NFL schedule. You can watch the broadcast version. You can watch the condensed version. You can watch the all twenty-two. No one grinds all twenty-two like Sean Wagner McGuff. And uh, you know you got to have NFL Game Pass to do your job, right? Absolutely. And for the record, maybe it's because I had already watched the Dolphins game on Sunday night that I was talking to Brian Tannehill. You watched the Dolphins game on Sunday night on NFL Game Pass? Yeah. Oh, you, oh, it was during, it was during the game that I just, I had it on and I, the game, Sunday night game was boring. Right there. Sunday night game is boring. You fire up NFL Game Pass. You can watch another game and get some info on what happened around the NFL. Uh, go to NFL.com slash pick six. And you can get a free seven day trial. Go do it. Uh, yeah, I, Ryan Tannehill is going to lead my uh, quarterback column piece because I think Ryan Tannehill might be good, Sean. Wow. If only someone was telling you this 24 hours ago. We, t- we talked about it on the podcast 24 hours ago. You got a lot I of, know. And you guys I mean, were crushing me for saying that. I, think I didn't, I didn't crush you. We crushed well, you for saying Ryan was crushing me, but Ryan was crushing me for everything. He was crushing you because the Steelers hadn't lost and he was telling you, he was mad that you said you would trade Mitchell Trubisky for Ryan Tannehill. If age and contract wasn't a thing, yes. All right, there you have it. Sean buries it. Would you trade Mr. Trubisky for Jameis Winston? No. Oh, no way. <laughs> All right, that's it. Would you trade Mr. Trubisky for Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> we got to end this podcast. All right, Tyler, let's get done to Brady Quinn, the man, the myth, the legend. You can follow Brady at third goal. Sean, uh, thanks for hopping on, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, Brady, it's that time of the day. That time of the week, actually. It's the Brady Quinn Football Show! Yay! Featuring Yay! Will Brinson. Um, 
the Eric K and I were actually joking about that. We're going to call the Tuesday show. We're recording this Monday for Tuesday. People that are listening, um, can follow Brady on Twitter at three RD underscore goal. We're going to call this the Brady Quinn football show with Will Brinson. <laughs> and we're going to like get theme music for it and stuff like that. I'm, Just, I'm not even on the majority of the show. I get like 20, 30 minutes at most. Well, and so on today's show, Stephen O is also going to join us and break down yeah. these rookie quarterbacks. Um, but I want to get to some other stuff around the NFL with you because there's a lot of this is this is this is a fun season so far, Brady. This is much better in 2017. There's a lot of good storylines. Um, one of those storylines, and you had mentioned previously, uh, Adam Gase, a guy that you worked with, right in uh, yep. in yep. in Denver. I went back and watched Ryan Tannehill's game against Oakland. Is Ryan Tannehill good? I think he's proving to be uh, good at operating Adam Gase's offense. Yes. I, I think the year off last year helped him. Uh, even though you could have made the case going into the playoffs, um, he was playing some of his best football of his, uh, of his career. Now, if you went back and watched the game, some of those stats are a little bit padded, okay? That little jet sweep <laughs> pass they got a couple <laughs> touchdown passes off of. Um, I, 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 I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it on this. Uh, I do take credit for that, all right? Wait, if you really? go back to my time, uh, with the Denver Broncos back in 2011, there was a backup quarterback sitting in a quarterback room with a quarterback coach named Adam Gase. And he was looking for ideas of helping to build up, uh, a, let's just say this quarterback, he might have been left-handed. <laughs> so we were, I was scouring through college tape to find easy completion plays. And it just so happened a kid named Geno Smith was playing at West Virginia. And he was really essentially catching the shotgun snap pushing the ball forward to a kid named Tavon Austin, mm. who ended up scoring like five touchdowns in one game off that, that single most play. And then what's brilliant about it is if you catch the shotgun snap and if you toss it forward and the, and the wide receiver drops it, it's, it's incomplete, yep. right? The ball goes back to the line of scrimmage, no harm, no foul. If you were to catch the shotgun snap and try handing it off and the ball falls, well, one, it's a live ball. And then two, there's potential if you just fall on it right there, you're going to lose three, four yards. So uh, it's it's a wonderful play. I'm glad we're starting to see it more and more in the NFL. Uh, but I do want to take some credit for that this past. Wait, week. do you think that? So do you think that 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 Andy because Andy Reid has been using that for years. Matt Nagy uses the shovel pass on the interior, like to Trey Burton. The um, shovel pass is different than the jet sweep pass. The shovel okay. pass has been around forever. Hell, I remember throwing. I actually checked to it versus. Uh, San Diego back in 2009 with the Cleveland Browns. Wow. Um, it's the jet sweep pass that's different. So you've got a guy coming in motion, yeah. and you're trying to time it up where you catch the shotgun pass, just push it forward, and he catches it. That hasn't been around that long. But, Probably but, but, but Andy, Andy six, Reed, seven years. Andy Reid used that in week one against the Chargers twice. Two of Patrick Mahomes' touchdowns were one-yard jet sweep pitches to, to Tyreek Hill coming across the middle. So are you saying that you get credit for the – the jet sweep jumping from um, West Virginia and college football to the NFL? Because I'm fine. No, no, not, not to the NFL, but to trying to give that play to Adam Gase at the time, mm. who was our quarterback coach in Denver. That was one of my ideas of how we would help our quarterback improve his completion percentage. Um, and, and so I remember watching that film, taking it upstairs to him and saying, we got to get this in. We got to get this in. Check out this play. And unfortunately, at the time, our offensive coordinator was Mike McCoy. I don't know that it made it all the way up the totem pole. Uh, so we never got that particular play. I was about to say, I don't remember that particular left-handed quarterback who shall rename, remain nameless um, uh, actually executing that. By the way, speaking exactly. Of, speaking we did of, have Eddie Royal, who would have been perfect for that. Oh, uh, man, play. he would have been good for that. See? Speaking yep. of Mike McCoy, 
what are the what are the Cardinals doing? What, are, what? I mean, I know we talked about them last week, and I don't want to spend a bunch of time, uh, you know, berating Steve Wilkes, who's a first year head coach, and, and going over an zero and three team. But it really grinds my gears, Brady, to see the Cardinals decide to bring in a rookie quarterback for his first ever snaps with two minutes left in the game against Khalil Mack and a terrifying Bears pass rush after they eschewed the decision to do so the week before when they were trailing 34 nothing and could have gotten him some, some e- not easy snaps against the Rams, but at least some snaps in a, in a game that was meaningless. And they throw, they just throw him to the wolves in a two minute drill. It, that's, that made no sense to me. It didn't make a whole lot of sense only because he's going to be ill-prepared for the moment at that point in time. But if you're Steve Wilkes, you're probably saying to yourself, we need a spark. We need to do something to get get back into this game. So why not give Josh Rosen an opportunity? Because an optimist tends to look at a scenario as, you know, no one's going out there expecting him off the bench, coming in cold to save the day. Mm -hmm. But if he does, then he is the savior. So now he looks like, um, you know, the, the, you know, savior of your team moving forward. He's going to be the starter. He's going to be the starter anyway. Um, but, you know, I think in, at that portion of the game, it's pretty unfair considering you probably didn't get many reps during the week and you're going against uh, one of the better pass rushing teams now in the NFC. And, and all, by the way, they, they know that you have to throw the football, um, which never usually works out well for a uh, quarterback. So, um, yeah, all those things were a bit unfair, but that's kind of life in the NFL, man. Like, fair is what you pay to get on a bus. It's it's not the situation, <laughs> the circumstance um, that you get thrown as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, look, like Josh Rosen will survive, you know, having to be paid millions of dollars to be the quarterback, and he wants to play, and it looks like he's now going to be the starter. Steve Wilkes announced it. Uh, do you like the move uh, by both the Browns and the and the Cardinals at this point to go with the rookie quarterbacks? Clearly, you know, Cleveland may be less of an option, but – the way that Baker Mayfield played, my goodness. I, I think, you know, Baker Mayfield looked better operating the offense than, than Tyrod Taylor did Thursday. Uh, I, I think he's probably, it makes sense to move forward with him. He's the number one overall pick. Uh, it was only a matter of time before he'd go in. And at, at this point, you hadn't won a game. So given how he performed the second half, that one's a no-brainer. And in Arizona, I think you got to give him reps and an opportunity. You're going to have a slim chance of making the playoffs as it is. Why not get him out there, get, um, you know, the, his clock started sooner than later at getting some of those reps. And Josh Rosen might be the one that's most prepared to handle uh, playing in the NFL. I think he's smart. I think his game relates very well or translates very well to the NFL level. Um, so I think he'll be able to handle some of the different things defenses throw at him. Now, the only issue for him is he's got to get the ball out quick because he's not very mobile or athletic. He's not going to be really be able to avoid a pass rush. Yeah, that's going to be a problem with that offensive line too. And they, look, they, things have to get better for the Cardinals, you would think, but I don't know. That offense has not been very creative. Larry Fitzgerald not very involved in this, maybe his final season if he keeps playing like this. And David Johnson got a, pa- a receiving touchdown on a wide open catch from Sam Bradford, but very unimpressive start there in the desert for, for Mike McCoy. The, where, where are we at on the, I know we talk about this every week, but where are we at on the Patrick Mahomes scale? I mean, this is, this is nuts. Like he, I didn't expect him to regress this week, but I think the Broncos and the Jaguars will present interesting tests, yes? Yes, um, and I, I think the reason why I'm, I'm looking for it, I don't want to say a regression, uh, but maybe a fallback down the reality is this. Go back through and watch a lot of the throws. Um, he, has, he, has, he has, by the way, this is, this is a next-gen NFL stat number. Of all the quarterbacks eligible for the, for the stat, he has the least number of throws into tight windows. And that's not a knock on him. He's just yeah. throwing to wide open dudes. 
Well, and, and, and it's kind of a combination of things, right? For starters, it's Andy Reid. Like, the brilliance of him, especially early in seasons. I mean, we saw this team start off 5-0 and last year, yep. okay? There were dudes running wide open last year, too. This isn't a first for this team. The other part is, you know, you, you have mismatches like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Not only are those guys easier to throw to at times, depending on how you formation things to get them open, but they also create openings for everyone else. Like, everyone's so preoccupied with, those two guys, or Kareem Hunt out of the backfield, or Sammy Watkins, who I haven't even mentioned yet, yep. that Anthony Sherman runs free, or a backup side end ends up running into the end zone wide open. All of a sudden, like everyone else having production and, and scaring you to death ends up making everyone else's job easier. And, and that's where this team's at right now. No one knows how to defend all the different options. Nine different guys have caught a touchdown pass. Uh, I would imagine you know, spreading the football around will continue, but – I don't necessarily imagine that this will be or continue to be as easy as it has been for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. One would think. I mean, like he's complete. Like he has a fourteen percent touchdown rate. It's imp- it's impossible. You can't keep that going. And I would note too that Alex Smith in three games last year had seven hundred seventy six yards, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, completing like seventy six percent of his passes. So I mean, he didn't have the eye popping touchdown numbers as much as Mahomes did. But this is a this is something we see from Andy Reid's teams, as you pointed out. Like, and then they they sort teams sort of kind of catch up to him a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I, I, he's he, he is going to regress. He has to regress because he can't throw. What what, what what's the math? You're the Notre Dame math engineering genius. What's the? He would have 900 touchdowns at this pace. Is that right? No, I mean, look. I'll say it this much: before before the game, he was on pace for 80. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to go into the math after three games and throwing three more. So, right. um, we we won't make it that much. 74.56 is what the answer. Is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, what about the uh, who's I, oh the, oh yeah, I got a question for you. Like as a you know, I mean, everybody people who don't know this, I point this out every week, but I didn't play professional football, um, so I don't know what it's like to worry about the look ahead game. Do you think the Vikings were looking ahead to the Rams? No. No one ever does that. There's honestly there's so much respect for every opponent that you play and that you and on, and you really do know that on any given Sunday any team can beat any team. I mean that, that's why it's like, you think the Bills went in there or thinking, "Oh no, we got to go on the road and play Minnesota. We can't beat these guys." <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, think about it from the opposite side of that conversation. So, no team overlooks it. For starters, it's your job and you're so dialed in and you're so detailed with how you go about game planning. You don't even think about that next opponent. I think that happens more in college than does the NFL. Um, but for the Minnesota Vikings, I think what was disturbing about it is it's almost like you can't trust them. You know, mm-hmm. like you had this team built up because all they were missing was a quarterback. So they finally got their quarterback and they went toe to toe with the Green Bay Packers at home to a tie after winning week one. And so you kind of came away thinking like, man, this team's like a playoff team. This team's maybe a Super Bowl team. And then they cheated on you. Like, they, they literally, like, <laughs> dropped the ball, cheated on you, and, like, broke your heart because they lost to a team at home that they had no business losing to that looked awful the first couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden emerged, you know, to be this amazing uh, jaw-dropping plays by their quarterback, Josh Allen. Like, it, it just – it made me fearful of every single game for the rest of this year. Like, because of that loss, I think I'll second-guess picking them in any game from here on out the rest of the season – because they have that in them. Like, that's in their DNA as a team. You, man, you sound like somebody who's, who's dealt with heartbreak before, Brady. Um, uh, once or twice. <laughs> not, once or twice. No, but I mean, like, you're right, though. Like, I, 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 like, objectively just trusted the Vikings at home to take care of business against inferior teams the way that they did the 49ers in week one. And now looking at it, I, I worry the, the two biggest flaws I think that I worry about with the Vikings are one, their offensive line. 
which is just not a good unit. And it's like they couldn't run the ball at all. And they were forced to throw with Cousins. And and then two, I do wonder a little bit about their game planning from a offensive coordinator and like like not knocking John DiFilippo, but to have that bow, that imbalance that they had against Buffalo, I get that they were down big, but try to establish the run. Try to get something, try to get something going to build up drives because Kirk Cousins was under siege, coughing the ball up. And then I sort of wonder a little bit, like, I don't, I don't, I know that Kirk Cousins is an upgrade over Case Keenum, but there are certain aspects of Kirk Cousins that I'm not sure are an upgrade. Does that make sense? Uh, a little bit, not really. I feel like the aspects <laughs> you're talking about are, you know, Keenum may be a little better athlete. Maybe yes. he, he takes more chances, a little gutsier than that. That's all good and fine. I think here's what the Minnesota Vikings were betting, that Case Keenum couldn't replicate that season he had a year ago, and we're witnessing that right now with the Denver Broncos. That's so good. no matter how we go about comparing those two quarterbacks, I think in the end it's going to look like Minnesota made the right decision, and I think they did. Now, whether or not Kirk Cousins gets them to a Super Bowl, that's a whole other story. I mean, this Thursday night game they've got coming up, um, Everson Griffin – uh, could potentially miss that game. Dalvin Cook could miss that game. Not only uh, Marcus Sherrills as well. All those guys are questionable at this point in time of the week. And it's a short week, right? And Trey Waynes as well. Throw him in the mix. Yep. All those guys are questionable in a short week, which means, you know, maybe you need, you know, some offensive production from the running game or that, you know, pass rush or cover guys going up against a very good uh, Rams team on Thursday night. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, come back from this loss, but also if any of those guys are able to play. You point out Case Keenum, um, through three games last year, he'd completed 61% of his passes, 755 yards. The, uh, that's not, what, what am I looking at? Is that, is that right? Minnesota Vikings? Sorry. I, I may have blacked out. No, is, what, what the hell is, what the hell is going are you, on? Are you drunk, Will? I don't, I don't know. I don't think I am drunk. No, this is right. Did the, did the Minnesota Vikings lose two of their first three games? That doesn't, uh, that doesn't look right. What am I looking at the regular season? Anyway, Case Keenum has not looked good. We'll just leave it at that. I, I maybe I, am I drunk? Am I drunk? I don't think so. Um, you're you're on some sort of substance or some sort of high. I, I'm gonna try to look this up to verify. I do remember them losing a game uh, early, which surprised everyone, and they got oh back oh back, so. oh okay okay. All right, I they, I screwed this up. Minnesota, they beat New Orleans, then right. they lost the Steelers, then they won against Tampa. But Case Keenum didn't play in Week One against the the Saints. Okay, that's why. All right, my apologies there. At any rate, yeah. Case Keenum one and two in his first three games last year with the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings first four games, of course, but he you know he he hadn't thrown any interceptions. He has now through three games of the Denver Broncos in a system that was theoretically supposed to make him more efficient by using his athleticism and getting him out on the edge um, and letting him throw in the, these play action spots. He has now thrown five picks, including three in a week one win, uh, one in a week two loss, and then one in a terrible 27-14 loss at Baltimore. Is that more about Baltimore being good or more about Denver being bad? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I think for starters, we've seen Case Keenum kind of cool off after week one. And I think Baltimore, look, they've got a good defensive front. They make you one-dimensional. They've got a pretty solid secondary as well. So give them some credit. And I do think they're a much improved team this year. I think that's a team to look out for to potentially win the division or be a wild-card spot. Yeah. Like, I think this could be a year in the AFC where I know everyone's hot on the Dolphins right now. Um, and, and, you know, to me, even though they're leading the AFC East, I still think it's New England's division to win. But they'll, they'll be competing for a wild-card spot. And I do think that, you know, if they don't get it, it, it's either the Chargers or pretty much one, you know, two of those three teams from the AFC North, whichever one doesn't end up winning, um, the, the AFC North division. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how things continue forward with them. And as, as we watch these other rookie quarterbacks play, 
maybe Joe Flacco, that chip on his shoulder, gets bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. just to make sure they holds off Lamar Jackson. I'm holding a Ravens to win the Super Bowl ticket at fifty to one. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I'm I'm rooting hard for the Ravens to win the Super Bowl because um, it would pay off nicely. Fifty to one is always always a pretty good odds. Would uh, what do you did you watch a second of Tennessee Jacksonville? And it's okay if you say no. No, I actually wasn't able to. I saw some highlights. Um, and then <laughs> really, kind of, you found a highlight. Yeah. You found a highlight. Good for you. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's whatever the NFL puts up as propaganda to make you watch their product and calling that a highlight. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I think this is my concern with Jacksonville is that as good as they might be on defense, as dominant as they might be in the run game at times, um, for whatever reason, they have just these moments where Blake Bortles is bad and the offense isn't going and they lose nine to six to the Titans. That is, uh, another situation where I don't know how you feel about this Jacksonville Jaguars because I looked at the Vegas odds today and guess who's number two to win the Super Bowl? Best odds, it would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that scares the hell out of me that you cannot beat the Tennessee Titans. I understand they're a divisional opponent. I get that. I think that gives um, worse teams even more of an edge. But you went against Blaine Gabbert for a minute and then a banged-up Marcus Mariota, and you still couldn't figure out how to score more points. And I don't even care if you're, you're trying to score in de- defensively. But, I mean, because that's the Jacksonville Jaguars team that can. But, you know, for me, looking at – um, the job that Mike Vrabel's done the past two weeks, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's remarkable. And Matt LaFleur, their offensive coordinator, that's a, that's a name to keep in mind at the end of the year when we're talking about the next, you know, young, hot head coach. Matt LaFleur is going to interview for a number of jobs, and I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't take it. Wow. The biggest question becomes with Marcus Mariota and his inability to stay healthy and his inability to, to have production, at what point do you start looking at this team and saying, maybe they're a team that's looking for a quarterback after this year? I, I think they're among a, a, several teams that might look for a quarterback. And, you know, you, they're one of those teams, the 49ers might be too, with Jimmy Garoppolo now with an ACL. Like, if you're the Jets, do you wish you held on to Teddy Bridgewater a little bit longer? Because you could, I'm not saying you're going to get, married, you know, the Titans to trade for him. The 49ers might. Um, maybe you get a little bit more if you're able to, to put Teddy Bridgewater out on the market. I, I think, I don't think Tennessee can extend Marcus Mariota, uh, beyond, you know, some sort of, Andy Dalton-like deal after this season without at least considering other options, right? No, and and that's where, you know, you can always say coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? And in hindsight, it's always going to be twenty twenty if you would have thought about how holding on to Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I just think there's there's some options right now as far as backups. If you're a team that's looking for one, like, I don't know, maybe the San Francisco 49ers, um, Tyrod Taylor, right? Uh-huh. Uh, RG3. Um, there's a guy named Johnny Manziel who he spent some time with uh, Kyle Shanahan, didn't he? Yeah. Um, wow. So th- you can make the case for a number of places that um, have backups that are I don't want to say expendable, but for the right price, they're definitely willing to deal them and then figure out you know what their plan B is if their starter goes down. Uh, I think one of the more impressive coaching jobs I've seen this season too. But speaking of backups, but I don't know if they trade him because they needed him for a hail mary. Jacoby Brissett. Could be a good option as a as a backup, former NC State player. Um, I think I think as Andrew Lux looked better and better and looks like almost back to hundred percent, that one would make a lot of sense too. I don't know about a hundred percent. What did you what did, what did, as a as somebody who started games as an NFL quarterback? How would you feel about being pulled off for the last play to let your backup throw a hail mary? That uh, is concerning, but at the same time, I also watched a future Hall of Famer stand outside uh, of his formation as a wide receiver and watch Taysom Hill take a uh, shotgun snap (laughs) in the Wildcat. And and I'm still wondering what that conversation was like when Sean Payton came in and said, hey, Drew, 
We know you're really good, future Hall of Famer. Oh, you're probably going to surpass Brett Favre this week too, uh, as far as you know career completions. But we're going to put Taysom Hill in on third and short. <laughs> like I would, I would be sitting there if I'm Drew Brees thinking, what? What'd you say? <laughs> like it kind of, it kind of giving that Chris Farley like the best of in Saturday Night Live, Clement <laughs> <laughs> decaffeinated coffee. Yeah. <laughs> what'd you, what'd you say? Because I can't imagine him thinking that this game or <clears throat> the potential of that play is better off in someone else's hands. Right. But Sean Payton sold him on it somehow. And let me tell you this much. Taysom Hill can roll. So uh, I, I imagine that play will continue to be shown from time to time in short yardage for New Orleans. Uh, but the point is this. You know, you've got, uh, you've, got, you've got the potential when you've got a guy like that, right? Uh, who could do something. So I, you kind of don't throw anything out the window at this point in time. I kind of forgot what we were talking about in the first place. <laughs> um, no, we were talking about, um, oh, Andrew, oh, Andrew Luck. Yeah, 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 but, but no, but, by the way, Taysom Hill. offense to it, right? Yeah. If, if your shoulder's banged up, you kind of get it and you know it's, it's a long process. And, well, I think too, like, it's kind of interesting because to me, Ryan Grigson and, uh, and, um, and Chuck Pagano would have left Andrew Luck out there and let him throw like four Hail Marys until his arm, until his arm fell off. Whereas like Frank Reich and, um, and, and Chris Ballard seem genuinely, uh, interested in making sure that, that Andrew Luck gets healthy. And I, I, I am worried that like, what are, what are, what do defenses start doing though? Now that they know, I mean, Andrew Luck is two for eight, Brady on, on passes over 20 yards this season. He has only attempted eight passes more than 20 yards down the field. His, like T.Y. Hilton's average depth of target is like eight yards this year after being 15 yards on average for the last four years. Do teams just, like roll their safeties down and, and just dare the Colts to go up top? Um, well, first off, besides T.Y. Hilton, who, who's he throwing to again? Like, uh, yeah. Not- isn't, isn't that kind of part of it? I, I mean, I, I sit there and look at other teams, um, like Buffalo, for example. Someone brought up the point that, you know, even though Buffalo won, like we didn't really see Josh Allen use that howitzer of an arm he has. And I was like, well, two options with that. For starters, who's going to get any separation downfield? And right. it's going to take them a little while. Like, you might need to put on, like, a sundial on Kelvin Benjamin. <laughs> and then the offensive line's not going to be able to hold up. So you really can't do either of those two options. Um, it's it's kind of similar, right? Like, with Indy, um, I, I don't know where Andrew Luck's arm is. It, it, that was actually one of the first things I noticed when I saw him in the preseason game versus Seattle. He didn't throw many balls downfield. When he did, it looked like it wasn't coming out well. And I was curious to see how it would be the rest of the season. And I think they've been effective enough where I haven't noticed it quite as much as before. And he, and he has looked like he's had more zip. It's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. But I also think it has a little bit to do with their personnel. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Ryan Grant was their number two <clears throat> excuse me, receiver uh, yesterday, or on Sunday, excuse me, uh, with 35 yards, one touchdown. Eric Ebron soaking up 11 targets. Naheem Hines getting five targets. I've been really, I've been really impressed with, with that coaching staff though. Like that's a major upgrade, upgrade, um, at coaching staff. And they've, they've lost these two games. They're one and two, but they beat Washington on the road. They hung with Philly tough on the road and they had Cincinnati in a, in a good spot. I think, I think this Colts team is going to, um, struggle. I think they're going to end up winning between four, five and, games. Four, four and six games is what I was going to yeah. say, but, but they're going to be, a, but they're going to be five, five, exactly five. Um, uh, but they're going to be a pain in the ass for, for people all year long, I think. Yeah. Kind of like you're a pain in my ass for all year long. That's right. I'm going to be a pain in your ass by making you hop on the phone with me it, all year but, long. But, but is anyone a more pain in anyone's ass than Pete Prisco? No, he's no. not. And like, and since Pete doesn't listen to this podcast, we can talk about how does you're down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, yeah. you're down there doing, you know, doing some, some CBS studio sports stuff. Studio studio stuff. Yeah, I was going to say stuff. philanthropic work mostly, but you know, some side. That was studio. what I was doing today. Pretty cool program, man. We were giving out kids, uh, shoes. 
kids who are in distress, uh, giving them a new pair of shoes. So it's oh, that's cool. awesome. That is cool. Yeah. Um, all through the Orange Bowl, man. It's awesome. That's great. So are you going to go to the Orange Bowl? Do you get a free ticket to the Orange Bowl as a result? You know what? I actually, I, I do get tickets to it. However, um, and usually we have to work it, especially because it's only my second year being involved. But I call it bowl game. So we call the San Francisco Bowl. I think they're still trying to find a sponsor. Uh, so I'll actually be out for New Year's Eve calling that, which is um, it's fun. It's great. Love it. Don't get me wrong. But this year's it's, it's a semifinal game for the Orange Bowl during the rotation. So oh, kind of stinks I'm missing out on it. Uh, what uh, what is what does your wife think about the fact that you are now so much involved in the media that you're constantly gone? Or does it matter because you're already a football player to begin with? She's a, she's accustomed to this schedule, I, and then she knows what comes with football season, where I'm I'm basically just like an absentee parent. I'm sure. like a horrible husband. And you're, and you're a father of two now. Yeah, father of two, which and that's the toughest part. Is it's it sounds terrible. I love my wife, but when I'm gone, I, it's like I miss my girls. I, I miss my two little girls, oh. and I feel like um, I'm not around them enough. So that that's the toughest part. My wife, I'm like we got our whole rest, rest of our lives to to you know live together and hang out with each other. So we're good. Man, you're really uh, you're really on top of the world. Um, what uh, I was going to ask you something else not related to oh Pete Briscoe, you're down in Fort Lauderdale, but like Pete saunters around that studio like he owns like he owns the world, right? I think he's got a, a cubicle now or something. Yeah, he he's does. got his own space. And I'm like, did you negotiate that? How'd that work out? Because he used to come down often, but he kind of just had like a random space he would pop up at. I, I feel like I've been there almost as long as him. Probably that's actually not true at all. But I, I don't I don't have an office or anything. I just I kind of just float around and have to sit in different spots. Pete's the longest tenured internet columnist at any major outlet. If like if anybody. Now that Peter King jumped from uh Which, Knowing knowing Pete, it's surprising only because he's a feisty guy, and I'm surprised he hasn't like rubbed someone the wrong way and gotten fired. It, it is weird. I think he's been lucky to have feisty bosses who kind of like his feistiness and the fact that he he makes people mad. They, they like they like that he stirs the pot. Uh, I, 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 college question for you: um, Who are you? What game are you calling this week? You, you, for those who don't know, Brady. I, I make my family watch your games on, um, <laughs> no, I didn't, I, I, we did, but you had Texas TCU this past week, right? I did. That yes. was a big one for Texas. Yeah. They, they I, I don't know if it's safe to say that they're back or not, because what Joe Testor did it, then they just basically went into hiding for two years. <laughs> uh, but two wins versus top 25 teams, um, in a much better position, I think, than Tom Herman, there's team moving forward. They got Kansas State this week in Manhattan. So that's never easy, but, um, yeah, I, I think they're in a much better spot. I've got BYU at Washington, so still kind of breaking down both teams, but Washington's kind of one of those those squads that is the Pac-12's kind of only hope at making the college football playoff. Like, after they lost week one to Auburn, they've got to win out, and they have a tough road considering they've got to play the likes of Oregon as well as Stanford, and Stanford obviously plays my alma mater, Notre Dame, this week. So oh, a yeah. lot of the line. I mean, BYU with the way they upset Wisconsin, now all of a sudden they're going in – um, so it's a Washington or excuse me, Seattle to take on the Huskies. If you can imagine they could pull up an upset there. Um, and if Notre Dame beat Stanford, given that Stanford's got to go on the road to take them on, it would be a bad day for the Pac-12. And, and Stanford is coming off a crazy win over Oregon in, um, in overtime that they had no business winning emotional victory in, uh, in Austin stadium. Austin, hey, yeah. And if you were watching Justin Herbert, KJ Costello That's, as well, the quarterback that, for Stanford. Well, that was going to be my question because you've been at the forefront of this movement. Like people are all pumped up about Justin Herbert, but is KJ Costello perhaps the better pro pro prospect? I, I tell you this much: I think based on what David Shaw asked him to do, and it's a pro style system. Yep. He makes all these checks at the line. He handles all the protection, the run blocking scheme. They really do push the ball vertically down the field. 
Um, and and he look, he plays from under center. Like, and, and he's he's a better athlete than people give him credit, and he's got a strong arm. So when I look at the two players, it's not that Justin Herbert doesn't ooze with potential, but he's going to have a bigger transition than KJ Costello is. And I look at Marcus Mariota, and maybe it's just because yes. they're both Oregon quarterbacks, but I look at him right now and say, where's the growth? Like, I, I think nowadays more than ever, it's the hardest uh, position to, to develop. Offensive line's up there too, but the quarterbacks coming into college football, if they aren't an already made product, I think they have a hard time developing and really taking those, those monumental steps I think you need to to be some of the best in the game and to be a franchise quarterback with the same team for 10-plus years. I just think that's going to be rarer and rarer as we move forward because teams have a lack of patience. They don't want to necessarily um, build with these guys. And if, they, if, these guys, if these kids don't know how to protect themselves, as we see the league trying to do their best to protect them right by, by the roughing yep. the passer rule, um, then these guys are going to start getting hurt too. Uh, and good, good non-Oregon example of that Mitchell Trubisky, who's sort of struggling to adjust as, uh, you know, even with a good offensive coordinator or good head coach in Matt Nagy, who former uh, Andy Reid offensive coordinator. We'll get you out on this. The, you mentioned the roughing the passer rule. Clay Matthews said that the league is quote gone or going soft. Do you agree or disagree with, uh, are you, wait, are you? I'm, I, no, I, here, here's what I'd say is I don't necessarily want to make the case. AJ Hawk, AJ soft. Hawk is the linebacker you're, Related. Yeah, he's my brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I was like, is it who's long-haired linebackers? <laughs> Long blonde hair. Yeah, um, yeah. He chopped it off now. He's got shorter hair. But That's right. I, I would I would describe um, the situation in the NFL right now like this. I think they're doing their best to try to protect their uh, faces of, of each franchise. But the problem is, is you're taking away the the authenticity of, of what makes football great. Mm. And that's the physicality of it. And there's not many opportunities where quarterbacks can display their toughness. That's one of the things that I always look at in quarterbacks is when they get hit, if they can stand in there, deliver a football and get hit and get back up and do it again, um, or even take a tough sack and get back up the next play and do something again. These younger guys I always look at to see whether or not they can do it. And the NFL is almost taking out that scenario altogether with the way they're penalizing these defensive players. And, and I'll just say this. For starters, it's being officiated inconsistent, which is yes. what bothers me the most. If you're going to have such a punitive penalty and you're going to find these guys, you better be able to do it at least consistently. So every single time we know, all right, that's going to get flagged or that's not a flag, right? And then there's the law of physics, okay? So if I told you that, and, and, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, right? Most quarterbacks aren't as big as most defensive ends or outside linebackers, right? Yep. Okay. So laws of physics teach us this. Power is equal to what, velocity times force. Whoa, so whoa, whoa, what, you, whoa. what you have is you have a bigger human being standing ah, seven, eight yards away from where a quarterback's going to be. And he's got to sprint and get to that quarterback in three seconds or less. And he's got a 300-pound guy who's bigger than him trying to impede him through that process. You tell me how that guy is going to be able to slow himself down to change the manner in which he makes contact, hits, and then lands on top of that quarterback. It's, it's impossible. The laws of physics do not allow that to be possible. And case in point, William Hayes, the defensive end for the Miami Dolphins, yep. as he got a sack this past week versus Derek Carr, what did he do? He tried to, to spin to protect Derek Carr, and in doing so, he tears his ACL. He's out for the season. That, to me, is the issue right now with this rule. Yep, I'm with you 100%. It's a major problem that the NFL decided to, as it always does, 
react and be sneaky with and shove it through. And, and now they're dealing with it in, in, in real time instead of addressing it in the offseason. Sometimes the NFL is just too, too cute for its own good. Brady Quinn, follow him at 3RD underscore goal. That's third goal. Check out his philanthropic efforts and of course watch him on CBS Sports. HQ, cbsports.com backslash live, and you can check him out at Fox Sports, uh, calling a uh, BYU-Washington game this weekend. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. Always fun, Will. All right, Steven. So I, uh, I, I was running late. I don't know why I say this on like podcasts and stuff. Nobody knows I'm running late, but people can just assume I was blindly running late. And we're going to – you were just saying how uh, – but we're going to do 20 minutes – I was saying this. We're going to do 20 <laughs> minutes on Baltimore sports, and I was joking, but you do have a deep – you know, rich history in Baltimore, right? Yeah. So I, I was born in Baltimore County or technically born in the city. Um, my, yeah, my father moved, my parents moved from Korea in 67. I was born in 73, uh, youngest of three boys. So uh, sports were a big deal, but the biggest thing is he, he fell in love with, uh, the Orioles and the Colts. So, um, you know, we, when we were winning, Baltimore was winning a ton of championships at the time, uh, just between the two sports. And he, the first, uh, I'm Korean. Yeah. You might have guessed, because <laughs> uh, it's not a very compelling story, or maybe it is more compelling if I was if I was Caucasian. But the first white man I ever met, like and actually spoke to, shook hands with, was Brooks Robinson. That's awesome. At a, at a, at a autograph signing in a Kmart, and uh, and I, <laughs> I think I still have the autograph somewhere. And then, uh, but then I went to a church, uh, and shared a shared a parking lot with Memorial Stadium. So we'd go to games, and then you know, and then the the Colts left when I was ten. And, uh, and I stopped watching the NFL. I watched, I, I got into Lawrence Taylor for a little while and kept me, kept me, kept me, uh, into the game. But, uh, when the Ravens came and, you know, had some pretty good success, you know, obviously a lot faster than, than most teams, uh, it, it really just took a, just lit a, you know, my, my, sure. my, my whole being started getting absorbed by the Ravens. And, uh, and, and then I went so far as to name my, my son Lewis after Ray Lewis. I like it. I, I, I worship, I, it's, I almost got into fights since I've joined CBS, uh, <laughs> simply because people always throw in the, you know, uh, Super Bowl, what happened in the, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah no, I guess he didn't work for CBS, so we can, yeah, you can reference it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, but I mean, I just, stuff like that just, you know, really sure. ag- aggravates and irritates me, but well, yeah, no, well, that's, that, that's where it comes from. And, well, let me ask you this. Where does, um, where does this year's Ravens team, and I, um, you know, we, you and I talked about this a little bit before, but I, I have a flyer ticket on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl that I got at 50 to one in Vegas and not, I mean, because I did like the Ravens to be better than people think, but also 50 to one, just better value. Uh, and then I, I was big. I, I picked, I picked the Ravens to win the division and the Ravens over. Are you after the three games in having seen the Ravens go two and one and look pretty good? And, and for those that don't know, you know, if you go to sportsline.com, all the projections are, are funneled by, by, uh, the, the mind of Stephen O. Do you think, do you think this Ravens team is better or just about where you expected them to be? I expected a lot of them and I think they're, they're where I want, where I expect them to be, which is better than 99% mm. of the people out there, you yeah. being the exception. Right, the rare because random exception. I, I really think that if you look at this team just from uh, the numbers, last year we were on the certainly top 10, but maybe top seven or eight in point differential. Yep. Um, Three shutouts. Three yeah. shutouts. That's crazy. We you don't see that. Nine even. and seven. And two of our losses, one of them was because Eric Weddle in overtime versus Chicago tried to strip the ball instead of tackle Jordan Howard on, on the Chicago five. Yep. 
All you have to do is tackle him. We get a short field and, you know, Justin Tucker is a god. He'll hit it from wherever and, and we'll win. <laughs> uh, and then the other one was obviously the Cincinnati game when, you know, which is, you know, fourth and 15. And, and I, so my, uh, my daughter after that game said, you shouldn't watch football anymore. I said, you're absolutely right. She's seven because I was, <laughs> you know, demolished. But the point being, we were really, you could really say we were two plays away from an 11 win season. And I think that when you factor the fact that you consider the fact that our wide receivers, you know, are historically bad. And, um, I don't think I, not one of our leading receivers heading into last year, Wallace, Rashad Behrman, um, and, uh, and, uh, and whoever else, and, and even Macklin, none of them were not, were, were, well, two of them aren't on rosters. And none are, were ranked by Dave, Jamie, or Heath in their wide receiver rankings in fantasy this year. So we didn't have a single fantasy ranked player at wide receiver yeah and then obviously our leading pass catcher was ben watson who's not on the team anymore and i don't know how they guys those guys ranked him you know obviously probably okay i mean to say to say that to say that the wide receiver group the pass catchers last year were underwhelming is a huge understatement and they always have been you know i remember remember Aiken had a good year with us and you know and this is this is the state of the wide receiver i i don't i don't say it i don't apologize for flacco believe me no one has felt my personal rage more than Joe Flacco <laughs> over the last few years. But at the same time, it, it, it's comically bad. And I just love the fact that Ozzie Newsom, who is greatest GM, was able to admit that, you know what, I can't scout and draft wide receivers. Obviously, it's, it's not in me. I can do everything else. Right. I can get compensatory picks like they're, <laughs> you know, at an unbelievable rate. And I can find, you know, fifth round defensive tackles. And, and I can find guys like Kenny Young, who looks like, you know, I don't know, the superstar to me after just a few games, but I can't get, you know, draft wide receivers to save my life. So I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if that's like a weak spot developed coming up under Belichick. Isn't that weird that he, Belichick and Ozzie Newsom have that same weak spot about finding yeah. wide receivers? I, I, yeah, I guess so. It's like, uh, everyone has, it, you can't be perfect, you know, um, uh, so I'm just glad that in his last year he decided to say, you know, enough's enough. Let's just get some professional wide receivers. So me, my friends and family watching the games were just like, this is what, you're supposed, this is what other teams experience that their receivers can actually catch the ball. And it's not an exaggeration. I mean, when I see John Brown, I think this guy is the greatest player I've ever seen just because <laughs> we're so used to Tory. We're, we love Tory Smith and yeah. we're like, okay, Tory Smith, he's the best at drawing PI. You know, in Baltimore, our, I, our big chunk play is the pass interference. And, uh, you know, we used to say with Brashad Perriman, Look, the the worst he's going to do is be able to draw a PI. I mean, that was the strategy we had. We right. figured he's fast, just jump straight in the air, underthrow it, whatever you got to do to get that pass interference call. Now we have a guy who's not only blazing fast, but he catches it. Yeah, you know, and he had a you know catch out of bounds the other day. That was yesterday. That was awesome, and and then he had that forty four yard pass down the field. So when you take a team that was, I mean, I know we, I think we were ranked twenty ninth in passing last year, but yeah. I think we were really. 40th out of 32 teams. <laughs> and you take a team that's already nine and seven. It was a really good defense. And imagine how good they'd be if we actually had any kind of offense. And you throw in, you know, three really solid wide receivers. And, you know, and, and Brown is, a, and Crabtree, you could argue have, have, have star potential, especially for the roles that they, they have. It's like, geez, how can we not be better than, than we were last year? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, as long as, um, as long as Suggs doesn't have to play on short rest, then I believe our, our pass rush will be there most weeks. It just, the, the biggest problem with the Ravens though is 
we get a big head. No one gets cockier faster than us. <laughs> so our whole history, even when we had those years making the playoffs year after year, we'd always, you know, I, I'm not supposed to curse, uh, but you can't, I can't you say can't, this phrase without it. You but, can, you know, well, we'd, we, we'd always crap the bed. You know, once every three games. Oh, you so, can say crap. You can say crap the better this Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> well, the Steelers do that too, though. So, what, what mm-hmm. do you, what do your projections have? How do your projections have the? Because uh, I want to get to these rookie quarterbacks in a second too. But how do these? How do your projections that people can check out over at Sportsline, where we have DFS, we have um, you know picks for every game and every sport against the spread and straight up, and expert picks coming through as well. How do your projections have the AFC? North shaking out this season. I have, uh, I, you know, I know we can't beat Cincinnati, but I have Baltimore um, as the solid sixty-three percent favorite. I should say, the the good thing I like about my computer projections is they do they are separate from what I really think and what I believe. <laughs> you know, people, you know, people like to think, oh, well, you have Baltimore because you're such a homer. I was like, you know, why would I? Why would I go through all the programming I do? I've gave myself carpal tunnel syndrome. I have like this ergonomic keyboard. I've, I work all the time and I'm doing all these sports. Like why would I put that at risk? Why would I jimmy the numbers? Just have Baltimore win. And plus I'm a, I'm one of those glasses half empty guys. So I don't want Baltimore to be predicted to be good. It, it, it makes me right. nervous. So I don't bias the stuff. What, what the computer has allowed me to do is the computer has its opinion. Yeah, I programmed it, but it's a separate entity for me. So, but I do say we when I refer to Baltimore. So, right, so right, right, right. Like yeah, we but, yeah. is not sports sign. We is Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know what the updated latest odds are, but I have Baltimore at a 63% chance of winning the division, which is extremely high, which is yeah. probably twice what the odds say. But that's because, you know, the Bengals aren't a good team except for unless they're paying, playing us. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, Pittsburgh, if, so I run simulations in two ways. One is the actual games with the actual rosters, factoring injuries and everything else. And then the other is if these teams were healthy or at least playing in February in a Super Bowl conditions on a neutral field. And that's kind of like a true power ranking. So if I were to rate the teams in true power ranking, I still have Pittsburgh as the, 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 the best team in that division, uh, slightly ahead of Baltimore, but I have Pittsburgh only, geez, I'm looking at it seventh in the AFC in projected wins. Wow. and, and I, I mean, hey, it's, 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 that's what happens. You, you're, you know, oh, one and one. And so hopefully they're oh, two and one and, and, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> after tonight, but I, I'm not sure what I'd rather have. I'd rather have them dominate tonight, feel good and sort of relax a little bit next week. You or, want them uh, as a Ravens fan, you want them to beat the, well, well, well we're recording this on Monday for Tuesday. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I miss that, but you want the Steelers to beat the Buccaneers and then to have, um, and then, and then to be rolling into the next week, uh, feeling good about it against the Ravens. All right, exactly. All- I, I don't see us overcoming an, uh, a, a winless Steelers team. Plus, right. I am, and here's where I do have, look, I know this job changed me. When I started doing projections for fantasy, uh, for, for a business I had my own, uh, 15 years ago, that was fine. But when we, when we quickly realized we weren't going to make as much money as we needed to, we pivoted to gambling. Right. And uh, the second I got into gambling, because I'm not a natural better, actually, and I think it helps make gambling predictions because you don't get, you know, you don't get as biased by 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 the uh, by the, the bad beats. But tonight I have Pittsburgh uh, as the favorite, and I think they're down to being a plus one and a half underdog. So yeah. this is where I can overcome my 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 hatred, and it's real hatred of a team. And just <laughs> go with just go with numbers. Hey, if, if Pittsburgh wins, covers the spread. Then I look better. You know, that's I right. That's gambling. right. You can, yeah. you can root for Pittsburgh because it makes you look better. Like I, like I don't have a favorite team anymore. I just root for my picks to be right. Um, I, I am a little bummed out though, even though I wasn't on this team, 
that we saw Jimmy Garoppolo go down. And yeah. I was looking at these the change of projections, again, from Sportsline.com. Um, I mean, this is stunning, Stephen. This he go the the 49ers go from a maybe an eight win team to like a five win less than a five win team, right? Yeah, I think that's and and that's you know I, I think, think it's most right. People would have it. Yeah. I think most people would have it even more severe. I think a lot of odds makers might have it more severe than that because I think that's only that's only around a four and a half points per game, four points per game. Um, but there's a reason why San Francisco, you know, gave him all that money and they had was it C.J. Beathard? They had him play five games last year, so they know what they have in him. They know how much better Garoppolo is. So yeah, it's uh, it's too bad for that team. But then again, you know. Maybe you know you get a you get a nice draft pick and you come back next year. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the projections also have the percent for the playoffs with Garoppolo thirty one point three percent, without him one point one percent. The Forty Nine ers, you look at the Vegas odds too. I mean, they're plus five hundred now, I believe, uh, according to the Westgate. It might be even higher mm-hmm. than that. I mean, they're basically written off, and and that's and it's understandable. You know, like you, I totally get it. Why why they would be why they would be written off. Uh, you know, at this point, because I think, let me, let me see, 1,000 to 1 now without Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. That is insane. I mean, the NFC is so much tougher, too, than the AFC. You know, in my, like, kind of power rankings, I call them my neutral power rankings, where it's just based on, you know, the simulated and the Super Bowl conditions, neutral field. I, I mean, I have the Miami Dolphins projected for the fifth best record as the 21st best team in the, in the wow. league. And, uh, but, and then when you look at, when you look at, uh, at the NFC, you know, teams like Carolina are 13th in power ranking and yep. they're, you know, they're not, they're not in the playoff picture right now, even though they are two and one, but the, you know, there's, how, how do there's you, so many teams, there's so many teams in the NFC with a, with a 30% plus, you know, chance of making the playoffs. I have to go down all the way to Detroit, which is Whoa. not bad at 28%. You know, so you have, uh, you have, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams in in my sense making the playoffs at a pretty decent clip. You know, thirty percent plus. Who's the the, who's the lowest? Who's the lowest surprise there? Like who? Like who? Where the are the Bears jump the Packers or the Vikings at this point? Or (laughs) yeah, and and so here's I struggled. The Vikings dropped like uh, well. I don't know what's what's the heaviest thing that you can think of dropping, uh, but that's uh, pretty much the Vikings. Uh, I, I think the heaviest thing that you can think of dropping is the Vikings' chances, because yeah, they, there was a. Uh, I still have them as a much better than average uh, power ranking team, the number eleventh best team, but losing when you, in the NFL, obviously it's about winning your division, and losing a game where you should had a eighty five ninety percent chance of winning yeah. is it, it's. You know, it's like in, in, you know, getting, getting swept by the Baltimore Orioles this year, you know, <laughs> nine to nothing. You just don't let that happen. So it, it, it was Matt. I mean, I had them obviously, I think as the number three seed last week and they, they're down to, um, below Chicago and they're, yeah, they're, they're, wow. they're, they, they, they plummeted. Now, but the good thing in football is, hey, if they pull off the, what looks like a miracle now this week, uh, they'll jump right off. You give me a, you know, so, let's see if I can look in my. Yeah, well, yeah. I run, well, let's trying to look for what I think is the scenario if they win on well, Thursday. Well, how well, much well, well I'm curious. Can. So, so people are people are already starting to probably put their picks in for the for the coming week. They're starting to eye maybe a wager on the on the on the Rams and Vikings game. What what do you have happening in that game? And this is a huge 
uh, differential from what the, the line was before the season. It was it was uh, Rams minus three if you wanted to bet on it um, at the Westgate before the season started. Now it is Rams minus six and a half or seven. Um, how do you see, how do you, how do your simulations have that playing out? Yeah, I have I have the Rams by seven and a half. Wow, and I guess right. uh, Marcus Peters is probably out, is out, right? Yeah, I would assume so, he is not. So, but I still, ha- I mean, I, I think it w- when I had him initially in, I had the the Rams at eight and a half. Mm. So, so uh, yeah, it's just um, the Rams look like the most talented team, top to bottom, and uh, and they haven't gone anywhere, right? They're they're, they're just been sitting in L.A., uh, which you know. I don't know. I, I, it's a pretty fun place, but apparently they get pretty well rested. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, they, they, they traveled to Northern California and then they traveled and then they had Arizona come in and then obviously the Chargers at home. And so they're rested. Minnesota, you know, is not. I mean, it, I, I, I've never played football for real. And I can only imagine how exhausting it was the Green Bay game the week before going to overtime and then just the emotional drain of that and then to, you know, this past Sunday. I don't know. I didn't watch the whole game um, against the Bills. Did they just concede? I can't imagine. No, they just no they were, the Bills' defense just kept kept on them. I mean, the Bills, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bills just kept winning on defense, and the the, the Vikings' offensive line got no push. I mean, it, you know, it was when um, I was I was monitoring the game. I you know I was watching the Ravens game. You know, that's all I do. But I had you know <laughs> I was watching watching our game trackers and everything like that. Uh, over here, besides doing projections, I like to just make sure, basically QAing the site and make sure it's working right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was about to write an email saying, "Darn it, our uh, our, our game tracker is obviously wrong." It has because the how can, bills. How can Minnesota, <laughs> it wasn't even the score. I was like, "How does Minnesota have five carries at the first half?" You it's, know, it's, they didn't <laughs> they didn't run the ball at all. Cousins ended up throwing it like forty times, and that's the thing. Yeah, like if you if you get in one of those situations where. Um, you know, where you end up, like the Vikings and the Jaguars are the same thing. I think they just need that balance if they, if they want to be, uh, a good football team. How about these rookie quarterbacks, Steven? Because you have, um, we now have Josh Rosen starting for the Cardinals officially, Baker Mayfield starting, uh, for the Browns officially. Obviously, Josh Allen's going to stay in after that big win in Minnesota. Um, and, and of course, Sam Darnold is starting for the Jets. How much, how much does the projection change for the Browns? And the Cardinals moving forward with Mayfield and Rosen, respectively. Well, the Mayfield, the the guys in the the social team like to get like cool numbers and want to, you know, because it gets uh, shared when the team goes from like twenty percent uh, to eighty percent. And and they said, hey, what's going on with Cleveland since Mayfield took over? And I was like, well, it's a big difference. And I I, I forget that I'm a more of a statistician. I said yeah. it, they went from a five percent chance of making the playoffs to eight and a half. And they're like, and they're like, that's uh, not big. I was like, but it's a sixty percent growth. Yeah, you know, you right, got to look right, at it from a growth rate perspective. Right. It's like, well, that's not going to play. It's like, but you know, that, so yeah. The point being, Mayfield does improve them a lot on a relative basis. It's a huge upgrade. It just doesn't translate well with, you know, because we have, as we all know by now, I'm a big fan of Baltimore and, and <laughs> Pittsburgh has the talent and Cincinnati yeah. is still the better team. Well, and you have the um, Dolphins who came out hot. The Chargers, yeah. the Chiefs are looking like they're going to make the playoffs. The Chargers yeah. are still dangerous. Um, I do wonder too though, but like, what about from a fantasy perspective? Did you see bumps in terms of Jarvis Landry, uh, David Njoku, Carlos Hyde? How do those guys look the rest of the season? Cause, it, you know, when you see Baker Mayfield step out there, you would think that based on how he played versus how Tyrod Taylor played, that these guys would all see bumps in their value, right? Yeah, they all, they all went. And I, I mean, I, they, they're all, they're all probably simple math, like, uh, 
10 to 15 percent improvement wow. which is that's, a that's pretty big that's chunk. huge from a from uh, a, yeah yeah that. because and also it was it was time the same time as you know letting josh gordon go so it just gave a lot more targets to people and sure. then and the thing I was always a big Mayfield fan. I, my job, I'm not, you know, my stats aren't, my numbers aren't great at evaluating players or extrapolating necessarily. Um, so I have to use kind of what I call analogies when I'm looking at players and, you know, college and the type of stats they put up in the conferences and the level of competition. And I sort of model, create kind of virtual players, almost like an Madden simulation type situation. And Mayfield, you couldn't find anything really wrong with the guy. And, and so I, I believe I was pretty early on and I told people internally here that I would take him number one. This is way, way before the, the you know, probably near the end of the college season. Wow. Simply because the only thing that people would say about him was, oh, if he was 6'3", we'd probably take him number one. It's like, but he's six foot. It's the Russell, inches, it's the Russell, you know? right, it's the Russell Wilson corollary. Yeah, like, yeah, I remember that at the time saying, wait, wait, if he was, if Russell Wilson was 6'3", he would be in the conversation with Luck and Robert Griffin. And it's like, yeah. It's like, is it really? Can it really be that big a difference? Right. I mean, that that's worth like uh, that much. But I think Mayfield is the only guy that didn't have that fatal flaw in my mind. Um, like Darnold. So I I grew up. I lived twelve years in uh, in L.A. and I in uh, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach area. That's a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> Expensive, man. My house <laughs> down here is twice as big and half as cost half as much. <laughs> that's right. But uh, but but so so Darnold. Guys who, you know, raise in California and go to school there, it, it, I, I just, especially guys like Donald who already have a turnover issue, it just doesn't, just didn't make sense to me that you could cut that, you know, one, two turnover per game average to, you know, 1.2 right. when you go to the pros. It doesn't happen. In fact, if anything, uh, it spikes like significantly. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, Josh Rosen, I know he has all of every tool. He's supposed to be really smart and everything else. You can't, I just can't imagine growing up wealthy in Manhattan Beach, cause that's really wealthy. Mm. And, and, and having what it takes to really inspire everybody and just fight through the pain that you're gonna deal with. I, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist, but I just know how, how lazy and comfortable I got in that area. Just so a man, <laughs> just a man who lived on the beach <laughs> yeah, for several exactly. years. Well, but, so, but yeah, surely, but surely the Cardinals have to get, like, surely yeah. David Johnson's value and the Cardinals value in general has to get better. I mean, I thought it was stupid. But, but, oh, stupid as all get out to shove Josh Rosen in, in the, in the, was, in the yeah. lineup with two minutes left in the game for his first snaps. But I mean, they have to see an improvement. Like Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson couldn't have been worse through three weeks. So what I what I don't understand though is okay so Sam Bradford I'm I'm old enough to remember when Sam Bradford was a big deal yeah. <laughs> he was super smart and physically gifted and 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 everything else and there's multiple teams that gave him a lot of money because they thought the same thing so I know his arm is shot basically so why did they even roll him out there to start at all if he physically can't do the job it, anymore it, did it he makes, get dumber it makes no sense like it makes so, it makes no sense. So that makes me wonder why didn't they start Rosen day one? Why they, I can't imagine him being that much better. It wasn't like Mayfield where you saw it, right? Right. So it leads me to believe it. And the only thing I can assume is that Rosen wasn't that much better or even as good as Bradford. So just because he's newer and shinier objects doesn't make him better when I don't know what percentage of highly drafted quarterbacks succeed but but i i don't i mean the odds would say that he's not as good as as people would hope he would be and there's a reason why he slipped to what number 10 was it in the draft yeah, you know and, 10, it, yeah, yeah. 
So, so I don't know. I, I think that I think, and, and then plus there's something about, uh, have you heard any reports about whether he gets along with his teammates? If, if any have, of the rumors. I have not. No, huh? I mean, I, I mean, I think by all accounts, he's cool with them. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it just, I remember, I remember yeah. going, go, I always turn it back to the Ravens, but, uh, I remember watching when Matt Leinart was, uh, I, I believe, I don't know if his rookie year or second year, but he was like this, this, the starter in Arizona and Kurt Warner was backing him up and it was a game in Baltimore and we were up like 21 nothing and we had sacked Leinart maybe four times in the first quarter and a half. And, uh, and then they put in Warner. And it was Anquan Bolden was still there, and Anquan Bolden had he had a play where he ran over like Ray Lewis, and he had two right. hundred something yard pass, and, and they almost came back to win. We end up winning on a Ray Lewis interception, I think, in the in the end zone. But at, at that point, I thought two things: God, we have to get Anquan Bolden on our team. But the biggest thing is <laughs> the offensive line was just going so all out to protect protect uh, uh, uh Warner. Or Warner Warner yeah yeah and then it didn't they so like... clearly liked Warner yeah and yeah. and this old Warner who everyone thought was done right after his Giants time you know we couldn't get near him meanwhile Liner was demolished yeah. and it almost and, and so there's something to and as you can see from this past weekend football all the numbers in the world that's why I don't, I'm not a big I'm a big analytics guy in terms of trying to win bets and project fantasy points I'm not a big analytics guy in terms of trying to make your team better mm. Because it, it, it's such a hard, demanding sport and it's such a team sport that it's all about how focused you are and how much you care at that moment. Right. Just like the Vikings aren't nearly as bad as, you know, you know, what they showed. It just so, when you come into that, if, if Rosen isn't a guy that anyone is like, we gotta, we gotta get him out there. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't see why he's that much better because he's not, he's, I know he's prototypical size, but he's not Cam Newton size and, you know, and right. so like, and then again, he's got he's got a, and he's got a bad offensive line too, and like yes. you don't know, you do, yeah, it could it could it could get ugly. All right, um, we got to get out of here because I'm gonna I'm gonna between this and the Brady Quinn interview, we're gonna end up going uh, over over an hour, full hour, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna be doing this every week, and we might we're gonna move to Wednesdays, right? So we can get the preview, yeah. we'll get the previews ready to go, so we can get people down for the Thursday night. Gambling. I have like 40 bullet points for every game though, but uh, you so want- you're missing out on some. Do you want to do? You, you want to, do, you <laughs> want to go through forty bullet points one by one? We can do that. I mean, I, no, no, no. My no, son, no, needs, no. my son needs another hour and a half on his iPad. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have to do the Ravens thing every week, I guess. No, right, right, right. So that'll save us ninety five percent of the time. No, no, no. no. But we'll, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be banging through some previews and stuff and getting yeah. uh, projections as well. What's uh, what's the promo code for Sportsline that they that they should use to uh, to get in on that? I don't know. They can use Will. You they don't need a promo code. Promo code Will. It's such an affordable site for what they get for ten bucks a month. Just no, pay the full true. price. It's that's so, true. <laughs> I can't imagine this. Do you understand that? That's what I. You know, <laughs> when I said marketing meetings. It's like, why are you? The promo code. We'll give something away that should be is worth a hundred dollars a month for for one. It is. So, it is worth a hundred. That, that's a good selling point. It's worth a hundred bucks a month. You can get it for ten bucks a month. You can get the first month for a dollar. Use promo code Will when you go to Sportsline.com to sign up. Stephen O, you're the man. Thanks, buddy. 